0: What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday, March 28, 2019. This is the Pick 6 Podcast. Uh oh, no, no, no. This is not the Pick 6 Podcast. This is the Brady Quinn Football Show. Boom,
1: boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, I don't really have anything for it. I, I was trying to create my own. That it's was pretty good. Which is, uh, <laughs> that
2: was pretty
1: good. No, it wasn't really a good sign. I was going to go with, like, the high school band theme mm. uh, that they used to play. Where we'd walk into the stadium. Mm. Um But, yeah, I I couldn't really quite recall what that was. So I have no musical talent at all. Like, I can't even remember the lyrics. So my daughter obviously hates me because I can never sing any of the songs she wants to sing. See,
0: my wife thinks that I'm, like, a terrible human or that I had a horrible childhood because I can't remember the lyrics to any songs either. But I'm like, look, I don't don't know. Like, I just worried about other stuff. I don't worry about the lyrics to the kids' songs. Hey,
1: so what do you do? Do you just, like, mumble along or do you sing – what you think the lyrics are or should be in that case?
0: <laughs> uh, both? Yeah, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, both. And then I'll make up, like, uh, occasionally I'll make up lyrics. Like, you know, like, um, like uh like, I don't know. We were singing a song about guacamole last night. I mean, like, it doesn't make any sense. There's no rhyme or reason why I was singing about guacamole. Uh, yeah, I'll just make up the lyrics. Ooh,
1: guacamole's good.
0: Guacamole's yeah, great. I can,
1: I can see that. Like, sometimes... You know when you eat something that's really, really good, and you just start singing about that food. Yeah, you know, yeah. like I, I get, I get in that mood sometimes. Sometimes, like food inspires you to like start singing a song about that food. I, 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 I could see how you got there.
0: All I want to do now is sing about guacamole, but instead, we got to, guac, 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 guacamole, guac, guac. Uh, Instead, we got to talk about uh, pass, pass, pass interference. That's pretty good, actually. Um, that was terrible. The, uh, the, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to talk about the pass interference rules that got passed. I ran it on them a little bit on Wednesday's show, but, but certainly having someone to talk with, especially a former professional football player like Brady Quinn, who you can follow on Twitter at 3RD underscore goal and who you can watch on CBS Sports HQ, our live 24 seven streaming sports network. If you're tired of hot takes and bad arguments, unnecessary uh, forced arguments and you want real sports talk for real sports fans, check out CBS Sports HQ, cbssports.com slash live. Uh, what's the last thing you did on uh, HQ, Brady?
1: Yeah, so it was just on earlier today, uh, the morning and midday shifts. We talked about some of the rules changes. That was one of the obviously hot button topics,
2: uh, but
1: also talked about some pro days. We talked about uh, Carson Wentz, a potential contract extension for him you and i hopefully can get to that a little bit later on uh and we can discuss why at least in my opinion i think it's a really good deal uh for the eagles not popular opinion because i think a lot of people are worried about his injury history i'm not and i'll explain why later on uh but yeah that was just some of the many things we talked about and then i also realized i'm top 10 right now in the cbs uh bracket for march madness so what i uh, still have oh yeah yeah i'm crushing it there uh, i'm leading my one for Sirius xm nfl uh, so I, I've been doing okay. I don't like to brag about it because I obviously went with the chalk <laughs> method, which has really worked out quite well so far.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. No, it has
0: worked out for you. But, I mean, if you're leading – if you're taught – this CBS uh, sports bracket, the CB, like the CBSI bracket group, I mean, this is a – you're talking about the big CBS practice. There's bracket.
1: two separate ones. There's a pool that we did within the actual office, and it's like 40-some people are involved. Uh-huh. I'm like tense in that. Uh-oh. And I'd have to go online and check what I am in the other one that was sent out. That's that's a little bit bigger than that. But uh, I'm doing okay in those ones. I did one for another employer that I kind of changed up and tweaked some things as far as upsets and which teams I had marching forward. Uh, like a couple of them I had Oregon going pretty far. So, unfortunately, um, those brackets, I think, which are sure the ones for CBS, are doing okay. The mm. other ones, not so much. So, yeah. I, not to go off on a tangent, but Oregon's I – mean,
0: I've been floored by Oregon. I watched a lot of Pac-12 um, – a lot of the Pac-12 tournament. And, like, Washington. Yeah. Washington was really – Washington was a really good team. And I thought that their zone was going to wreck Oregon. Oregon just doesn't care. Like they lost, uh, Bull Ball, no. uh, Manute Bull's son, and this Peyton Pritchard kid is like the quintessential NCAA tournament story. Louis the King right. is, uh, is a fantastic player. And I mainly watched so I could listen to Bill Walton, so I could live tweet Bill Walton's commentary. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, this Oregon team is legit, man. I wouldn't be stunned if they were in the Final Four at all.
1: No, no. They're like one of those teams that's kind of gotten hot at the right time. Yeah. Really, even though they lost their best player, it's they, they've been able to figure out it out around him, which few teams can do. Like, if Duke was to lose Zion, they'd be a mess because that team doesn't play the same when he's not on the court. Uh, they're fortunate he's he's there and he is playing the way he is right now. They're fortunate just to still be in the tournament. I thought UCF uh, should have won. I thought they honestly you know, out-coached Coach K, and I thought really – with the exception of just not dropping one bucket at the end, I should have won that game. But yeah, look, uh, bottom line is um, I've been somewhat lucky with some of those picks. Oregon's been one of them. Um, but I'm not sure, so sure the officials are going to be very lucky next year. Uh, especially when having to make the decision the final two minutes of each half, which is really what they've been tasked with now with this new rule.
2: I thought you
0: were making a segue to next year's NCAA tournament. I was like, what is he? what is he doing? It's like, who, uh, no, yeah, you're right. I looked at the clock and I, I was about to go off on a different tangent about Duke. Good on you, Brady, for being the professional here and steering us back to the, uh, the NFL. <laughs> Maybe we can talk about some college basketball. I'll give a Calcutta update on my teams in the Calcutta uh, later on. But um, the uh yeah, I, I think that I mean this is. I, I said this yesterday in in sort of a, 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 a monologue to kick it off because we talked to Pete Prisco from the Owners' Meetings, but we recorded before this news broke. I mean, this is a a major major change in t- and, and it's only for one year. Pass interference is reviewable, of course, for those that didn't didn't see it or didn't hear it um, and non-calls and calls alike the first 28 minutes of each half will be uh, subject to a challenge flag from a coach and the final two minutes will be subject to official you know official review like any other call in the last two minutes do you think that this is going to slow down games and make them less watchable in in the style of college basketball these days
1: no, I don't. I mean, I, I don't think that's the biggest concern. And and really, if that is a concern, then you apparently are more concerned about, you know, how long these games are, which so what if it takes two or three minutes sure. so that we get the call right? I mean, th- that, that's what the sacrifice is. That's We're good. just trying to ensure that we get the call right, in particular at the end of each half. I, I do find it interesting because here's what I like about the rule. The most punitive penalty that there is, Uh, Is pass interference, a particular defensive PI, and I like the fact that they've chosen that particular penalty to make it reviewable, only because we know how big it impacts the game, whether it's in the first quarter, but also at the end of each half in a two-minute situation or the end of the game where the teams trying to come back. So, for that reason, I like the fact that they picked that particular penalty and maybe even only that penalty in its first year to make it reviewable, either by via a challenge by the coach. Uh, or in the final two minutes by a replay assistant or replay official. Um, the next thing I like is I think it adds the element of strategy. Yes. If you're a coach now and and you want to start looking at when you want to use a challenge and how you want to use a challenge, you really have to think about whether or not you know you want to try to use that and when you use that, uh, because not only are are you obviously weighing like normal um, the ability to keep certain timeouts, uh, but also just you know the, the way you use them, how it could impact a game, or when you don't use them. You know, if it impacts the game. So I think it gives us another talking point and it adds the element of you know, strategy that we could puts more pressure on the on the head coaches on how they use them. The thing I don't like is this. I don't I, I think there could have been a safeguard where I don't know why you take out the coach's ability to use the challenge in the final two minutes of each half. I think that's dumb. Mm. I think you, you let that be the case and, and if if they feel like the officials missed something, so be it. You know, if the replay official missed something and they didn't see it, so be it. Let the coach challenge it and give you another look at it. Um, the other thing I, I think is uh, probably going to be the biggest issue with this, this entire uh, new rule is the coaches when they challenge have to be specific. So they're they're going to say, "Hey, I think Will Brinson, number twenty-six, committed pass interference versus number eighty, Odo Beckham." Uh, and Lord knows you would in that scenario because you know you're not very fast, even though you're fast for – most of the the group here at CBS. That's very kind of so, you. Thank you. Yes. Well, <laughs> it's true. It's true. I think we've seen you in a foot race before, and that's one thing that you have bragged about yourself. You said, "Look, I have a great hair, and I'm really fast. Outside of that, I can't really claim anything <laughs> else." So <laughs> um, find find, but, the but, find the lie. Find the lie. Right. Those uh, those coaches have to be specific. Now, in the final two minutes, that's not the case the replay officials just looking across the field for pass interference, defensive or offensive. I think that's really hard to do. I think it's even harder to do when you're looking at a game copy. And I assume that's what they're going to be looking at. And then you've got to make that determination to stop play when they're potentially in a hurry up offense scenario. So that to me becomes incredibly difficult to implement and then execute at a high level. And that's what we're asking out of these officials. So Uh, Good luck with that portion of it. Uh, I do think this is a step in the right direction of getting it right. We all know that. And I do think it opens the door to expanding this to make everything reviewable. Uh, I am surprised though, that they decided to make non-calls reviewable Mm. only because I think if, you know, look, the easy fix is you got to coach up the officials better. You got to make sure that they never let anything like what happened last in the NFC championship game happen again. And everyone's going to use that as, as the example But the bottom line is, if you're in, you know, when in doubt, throw the flag, right? I mean, coach those guys up to throw the flag if you think it possibly was, and then you can review it. And when you review it, especially, for example, the Joe Hayden penalty that was called when you went back and watched on tape uh, last year, he didn't touch the guy in the back of the end zone. He didn't touch the guy. The official had a bad angle, never should have been called, and you can fix it. So uh, I think that would have been an easier correction instead of making you know, them able now to look at non-calls and then try to make that determination in real time. I just think they're going to have a really hard time doing that.
0: Okay. So I want to go back on a couple of things uh, here that you mentioned in this, in this passion interference stuff. Um, one, first of all, and I, I've read the ruling. I've had some heavy uh, dad lifting to do the last 24 to 48 hours. I was at this NC state pro day on, on Wednesday. And we're, we're obviously recording this on Wednesday afternoon for Thursday morning, so in, in case anything else breaks, that's why, people. Um, although I'll point out Brady likes to – uh Brady's like, maybe we should go back and button that up, like when uh, Jordy Nelson got cut, and now Jordy Nelson retiring. Uh, anyway, um, don't want to go off on a tangent, as I am wont to do. Um, the <laughs> the. Did you read something that said – like, do they specifically – I just haven't seen this. Do they specifically have to say, I want to challenge that there was a no-call on – pass interference, and say the numbers of the players involved? Is that is that actually the case? Correct. Okay. All right. I mean,
1: that's actually the case. But, yeah, so I talked to Dean Blandino today, and he confirmed that. Perfect. That is indeed what they're asking of the ch- the coaches when they challenge a, a, a non-call, but they do believe there was a penalty uh, for pass interference, either offensively or defensively.
0: Okay, because that's a huge deal, and I don't think that's really been touched on a lot, at least – from a media perspective because when you think about how a lot of these challenges work on, on the field in play, oftentimes you see a situation where Andy Reid or Bill Belichick or whoever will throw the challenge flag and bring over the official and sort of talk through what's going on and so like i mean and maybe it'll still work the same way maybe they'll, they'll come over and say hey i think that was pass interference over there and you know, be like well i need you to specify it i, I mean I'm, they're not going to demand like a i need a written written it down but I, I do think that makes a big difference you can't just throw a challenge flag and be like there was pass interference in the end zone on somebody I mean like, you need to know what the specific call is and that that to me is a uh, is is inherently makes it more difficult from the strategy perspective, if I'm a head coach, I am squatting on my challenges unless there is a game changing play or a game changing error in the first half. There's no way I'm gonna burn, uh, one of my challenges when I might need them later on down the road, unless I'm 100% sure I'll get, I'll get the overturn and get the third challenge, or unless it's a, you know, a clear fumble recovery that the officials have screwed up that or, and they, they would review that anyway for a change of possession. But you, you know what I'm saying? It would need to be something very serious for me to use my challenge flag because otherwise I want to try and save him for those pass, pass interference opportunities.
1: Right. And, and so there's a couple of, uh, cause and effects from this rule, right? The first thing I immediately think of, because I was scarred by this in 2009 when I was playing in Detroit for the Cleveland Browns, I had one of my best games, probably the best game of my career, and we end up being ahead, and there's just moments, seconds left. Matt Stafford throws up a Hail Mary to Calvin Johnson in the end zone, ends up falling incomplete, but lo and behold, there's a flag on the ground for pass interference. So the Detroit Lions now, who are down by, I want to say at that point it was seven points, um, because they needed a touchdown, and, and they what they did was they had an untimed down. He threw a touchdown pass, and then they went for two. So at insult and injury, they convert the two point conversion. Game over, we lose. Um, so my first thought was we're going to go into having a you know a replay official now viewing pass interference on hail marys. Good luck, man. Everyone's out there uh, tugging and pulling and doing all that. So it, it, there, there's going to be an issue with that. I think the way teams play down the stretching games because of this rule, if I'm a quarterback, yes. I'm going to yes. vertical yes. I'm throw up shots and I'm going to take chances. And so it, it really, I mean, I think it's going to be exciting, uh, but at the same time, it will potentially will subject this game to be slowed down only because of the aggressive nature in which offense is going to play with. And knowing that the repercussions are, yeah, they can potentially turn the football over, but yeah, that's, they're going to lose the game if they don't take chances. And now they've got a replay official looking all across the board uh, for, for defensive backs uh, calling, you know, for pass interference. So, you know, I I think that's some of the cause and effect with all this. And I've already mentioned why it's tough. I do think the thing you bring up though, about squatting on some of the challenges I'll, I'll be, I'll be curious to see how they go about handling that because, you know, you never know how in the beginning of the game, if you feel like something was, you know, a, a pretty monumental call and how it may impact the drive or field position, you know, maybe, maybe you want to, you want to take that opportunity and challenge that. Cause you don't know later in the game it's going to get better and you don't necessarily know if you're going to need it. Right. And the final two minutes, sure. if that's where you're trying to make up some ground of each half, you know, the officials hopefully taking care of that for you. So, um, that's, that, that's obviously one of the major rule changes that I think, um, Will obviously impact the season. That's going to be one to watch and see how it's going to be implemented. The other thing that I think was interesting though is the the blindside block rule, which
0: I was, was oh, a before to you a little bit. before you do that. I was going to ask yeah. you. Do you that by the way, that game against Detroit, you went twenty one of thirty three, three hundred four yards, four touchdowns, no picks. Can you name you threw you threw a touchdown to four different receivers? Can you name the
1: receivers? Oh boy, uh, Chancey Stuckey. yes. Josh Cribbs, yes. Uh, we had a tight end. Gosh, what was his name?
2: Mm.
1: Uh, I can't remember. Michael, uh, Michael, Michael Gaines. That was Michael Gaines. That's right. Um, and then I can tell you this much. If you go back and watch right before half, I hit Chris Jennings literally in between his numbers up the sideline on a wheel route. Should have been a fifth touchdown, but he dropped it and we had to settle (laughs) for a field goal. The other one, um, was it to Rubisky or was it to Masakoi? Yeah,
0: Mahabab Mascoy, yep. Mascoy. very nice. That's yep. that's a good, that's good recall. Um, yeah, I, I no, I mean, I do, I do think that I think you're, the strategy point on the hail marys is is key, man. Because I would, if I had, let, let's say you're the Denver Broncos, right, and you've got, um, and you're playing, I don't know, I'm trying, who's like, who's the, who's a grabby corner these days? All I can think of is Brandon Browner, but I mean, see, <laughs> so you gotta, I
1: mean, like, who. Go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say. I mean, there, there's you. Um, oh, Richard Sherman kind of grounds from time to time, right? Sure. Well, all right. So,
0: how about this? So you're the you're the Broncos, and you're playing the 49ers, and it's Week 17, and the season or whatever, any week, and it's the last two minutes in the game, and you're trailing by four points. Just start sending Emmanuel Sanders or Cortland Sutton on vertical routes against Richard Sherman and have Joe Flacco throw it up and g- just tell your coach to have his penalty flags ready because you're going to try and get Richard Sherman to grab or, you know, if you get in the, if you get inside the 40, all of a sudden you're, maybe you're not playing for that out route. Maybe you're playing like, all right, we got a better chance of this Hail Mary. If you can get it in the end zone and we can get somebody to take a dive and, and see if they can draw a flag. It, I think it's going to be interesting to see how guys operate in that. I, I'd like to think that they won't change it that much. But I have to imagine that smart teams will utilize the knowledge that refs tend to, uh, to decide with the offense in these situations and, and how the refs handle this pass interference stuff in the end zone is going to be interesting. But go back to the, uh, the blindside block stuff now that I've
1: well, detanged yeah, it. So, so these things kind of tied, you know, hand in hand to something else I was thinking too. Uh, so obviously going to change the blindside blocks. Um, and they already existed. You weren't allowed to hit a player at the head or neck area. Uh, if you're moving, I believe towards your goal line or parallels to the line of scrimmage. So um, that already exists. and what they've done now is basically just eliminated your ability to use um, your forearm, your shoulder, or your helmet in making contact with the defender in that manner and and that you know typically happens on special teams plays. It's a safety issue. It's why they're trying to eliminate the blindside blocks. Uh, it happens on turnovers and then also it happens on end rounds. It is something that's utilized a lot of times for offenses to get the edge, as they call it. They're basically trying to cut off the defense um, at the defensive end or outside linebacker spot or whoever that force player is. It could be a safety that rotates down and is responsible for the D gap. But either way, you know, they're trying to usually they use a crack block with a wide receiver or however they formation it, or they, they figure out a player, someone's a tight end to get over there to do it. But, Either way, it will change the strategy in which how teams sometimes try to attack the outside run game. Mm. <clears throat> so that'll be interesting uh, to see how that rule is implemented. But uh, one rule now that's going to be into to uh, stay is the change in the kickoff rule. They changed the way that they can position players now. Um, you can't overload a side. There's no more wedges. That's continued to stay the same. There's no running start. All those things have um, are, are going to remain the same moving forward, again, for player safety. What I think is kind of interesting, though, is as we move towards almost eliminating the importance of kickoffs, uh, punts are, are still a part of the game. You might want to think about if you're a team that's typically got, you know, I don't know, four guys that are core special teams players outside of your kicker, punter, and long snapper, you might want to think about not taking as many core special teams guys only because you might have a wide receiver that for these Hail Mary situations or the final two minutes of the end of the half, the end of the game, Maybe you want to put a Hakeem Butler in there uh, to to go jump up and make a play for the football. Otherwise, it's called pass interference. You know, maybe you want to carry a couple more guys that you feel like can stretch the field vertically at wide receiver, or to in your strategy just keep running go routes and, and you know until you wear out one of these defenders where he grabs them so you can get a pi. You know that that those, those decisions I think now as far as the roster decisions. Might end up being where we say, "How much does this guy really impact our offense or defense for secondaries?" So these guys can get breaks or get, you know, um, you know, be able to help fill in a little bit. Only because you know the passing game is only going to become more and more prevalent uh, as the rules tend to get implemented that protect the offense and and really almost push the offense to want to throw the football more.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. And we're going to take a quick break and then come back and talk.
1: Marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today.
0: Okay, that was a quick break. Thanks to uh, somebody's son screaming about Oreos, me thinking he was dying. Nope, just hungry, Brady. What's
1: your favorite? Uh, what's for, your favorite? for the record, I have two daughters. Um, right. But, yeah, what's, what were you going to ask? What's my favorite cookie? Is what you to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how'd you know <laughs> if, if i was if i was gonna pick one honestly like i don't like any of that pre crap um you, you just got to make some good old-fashioned chocolate chip cookies sure uh and, and by the way i'm uh most people are pretty divided on crispy or soft and i'm actually like kind of in the middle like i could have both but i think i do uh, I, I do kind of sway more towards the side of like right out of the oven before they get too crisp where they're like mm. soft and kind of gooey I think I side with that notion. Like big chunks of chocolate. Yeah. None of that like mini little chocolate chip BS. The best
0: cookie, chocolate chip cookies of all time. My grandmother made them, and she would put them in like those cookie tins and stick them in the freezer. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, oh, I mean, yeah. and so obviously those aren't soft, but my god, oh man, we go down to Florida for Thanksgiving and just hammer back those cookies. Uh, I, I like, I like, I like the uh, slightly charred edges, so they're like a little bit of crisp, but then you get into the actual cookie. And it's real, uh, real soft. I also um, I bought Robbie some. Robbie's a big uh, M and M's fan, so I bought him some.
1: Uh, uh ch- not
0: yeah, I guess uh, Chips Ahoy or maybe Keebler Keebler chocolate chip cookies, but with M and M's on them. Pretty good. Um, yeah. He.
1: Those are solid. Those are yeah. I was gonna say any any like cookie with some M and M's in it's pretty solid. Yeah.
0: Um, also solid, Carson Wentz. What a terrible segue that is! But don't care. That's what we're gonna do.
1: <laughs> Carson wins. Well, can, 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 before we get the wins, can we just talk about a couple more like rules? That I thought was interesting that the overtime rule got shelved. I thought that was kind of interesting because it, it seems like fairly obvious. Either you are for both teams touching it, or you're not. Yeah. But the owners, for whatever reason, want to push that to May. And when I asked Dean about that, I kind of I wondered if that was more a product of. Just them needing to do more research, which again, they knew that was coming up at this point in time of the year. They knew what was on the agenda. They do this all so the time, though. Like,
0: like, like, why? What do you need more research? You know, you had a, you had three months to prepare for this. What do you need research for?
1: Right, and, and again, it's a polarizing deal. Either you feel that they should each get a touch, or you don't. Like, I don't know that there's a lot of persuasion in it. Um, and, and then I asked him, does other leagues like the AAF when they implement a rule, for example? like the onside kick rule, where they eliminate the onside kick because I think, what, two teams recovered onside kicks last year. Yeah. And instead implement a strategy like, I think it's 4th and 12 in the alliance. John Elway proposed a 4th and 15 scenario to the NFL that got shot down. I asked him, I said, is there some degree of, we're the NFL, and we don't do that because we're the NFL. And he said, they'll never admit it, but you definitely get that feeling because it wasn't their idea or it's not their role. Mm-hmm. They don't want to implement it into their game. And, and I, I, I think it's sad if that is the case, because that only holds back the NFL from ultimately putting forth the best product and, and really making it the safest product too. I think the one thing college football has done um, that would have solved last year's NFC championship game crisis with the Roby Coleman and Tommy Lewis was implementing a way to, no matter what point in time in the game, if there is a personal foul and it involves player safety, like a player getting hit to the the head and neck area to be reviewed and then be penalized for it, right? Um, At any point in time, that would have fixed that play and it would have solved probably some other plays moving forward if that was was a part of this replay rule. It's not a part of it. College has it. They call it targeting. It kind of falls under that, and they have different degrees of it. But I, I kind of sit here and just say to myself, it, it doesn't put forth the best product and it doesn't make it the safest game for the players either. So, uh, it, it's a bit sad if that is the case, but that's just kind of my final two thoughts on the whole, you know, rules being, uh, implemented and changed or those that were put on the back burner.
0: Well, I appreciate you again being the professional here. I just moved on to news. I like, you like went through this great explanation of, um, uh, of, of the, of, so another rule, and I was like, "Yes, that's great. I agree. Let's go to break because my child was screaming." So, so I, I was like trying to. It's it, it, it's a weird it's a weird thing when your kids are like five is a weird age because he's fine by himself. And he'll scream if he wants something, but I did, you know you don't want to be I don't want to be like ah, he's just screaming about Oreos and then I talk to you for thirty more minutes, and then I walk downstairs, and my son's impaled on a fork or something like that. you know what I mean like that would be uh right that would be less than uh, no,
1: it's. that's the joys of parenting is like you hear a scream and and your you know your instinct is they're in trouble they're in need, and then you find out it's something minor but again this is this is very similar to to what my wife and I always talk about with babysitters, so a lot of times. Our, our oldest daughter's at the age where she's almost three. She's somewhere – she's really two and three quarters. Um, but she's at the point where she loves to be put down by mommy or daddy. So if it's not mommy or daddy, it's a little bit more difficult. We know that. We don't want to, like, ruin, you know, our date nights and not be able to have a babysitter by making them put her down. So we try to wait until the kids are down for the babysitter to come over. Sure. Well, the issue with that is, is you're saying to yourself, we could – like, anyone could do this, right? Anyone could just sit in our house. And let us know if the babies wake up or if there's an issue. So really like there, it's like an insurance policy that you're probably never going to need to use it,
2: <laughs> but you're paying
1: for, it because otherwise you'll get judged. If you ever said, yeah, we went out for dinner, uh, you know, and we didn't have anyone home to watch the kids, even though we're watching them at the table on our monitor could leave. if We need to uh, No, we've got the 16 year old across the street there uh, to watch. It's not like she's going to be able to do anything. If there's an emergency besides call 911, if it's that drastic <laughs> a situation. But again, these These are the reactions and thoughts that you have when you're a parent, uh because really you just don't want to look bad like that's what it is if there's a kid screaming and you go and you're negligent and you go don't go see if they're okay, even though it could be about Oreos it could be about something very very worse. there's just a one percent chance that's probably the case
2: <laughs> I, yeah
0: that's exactly Robbie did this the other day he's upstairs um hanging out in during quiet time, and I hear. Danny! And I was like, "Oh god, oh god!" I was like, "What's up, buddy?" He's like, "I want Oreos and milk in bed." I was like, what? "No, man!" Like, "What? Are you, what?" Are you, what are you, I was I'm downstairs, like doing busy stuff. He's like, "You're watching golf." I'm like, "What? That's that's or Maybe no, I was watching. I was watching like the NCAA tournament. Um, anyway, let's get to uh some NFL news. You actually scared me because you said that you're like Carson Wentz extension I was like what and I was out at the NC State Pro Day I was like oh my god Carson Wentz got an extension he didn't but the Eagles Howie Roseman has basically um you know not I don't say admitted but he's basically he's been open like we're gonna work to extend Carson Wentz and to me it's a no-brainer of course you're gonna work to extend Carson Wentz and if you're gonna extend him I actually think and this may be your take as well so I don't want to steal your thunder, step on your toes or anything, but I actually think even though you're utilizing his window of a small uh, rookie contract and his salary, it would not be a terrible idea given his injury history to extend him now rather than have him play 16 games, put up an MVP caliber numbers, and then have to give him $35 a year. I think you could could maybe get a little bit of a bargain if you went ahead and hammered that thing out this offseason.
1: Yeah, so I feel the – exact same way yes. so the counter argument to that <laughs> is going to be look at his injury history he had injuries back when he was at North Dakota state yeah he's had injuries his you know he missed the entire preseason as a rookie even though he did start and play all 16 games and they go seven and nine remember that hot three and zero start they had to buy and then after that they started to kind of not fall apart but he started to look like a rookie um the next year he's an mvp candidate then he gets hurt again this past year with, with the knee injury this past year ended up being a fractured bone in his back ended up having back spasms, issues with that. And so, you know, I think as as much as you say, yeah, of course, extend them, uh, it sounds great in theory, but I think if I am Carson Wentz and I'm trying to maximize my value, I might say to the team, regardless of what they throw at me, mm. yeah, I'm okay. I would like to uh, just go ahead and play out this year, show you what I'm capable of for a full 16 games, and into the playoffs, and that I can do what Nick Foles did. Uh, because, look, they, they obviously picked up the option on Foles, but at the same time, I think they you know they realized that he was going to move on, and he did. Um, and, and, and Look, in, in a way, they could have franchised Tag Foles, they could have figured out something else, but they know Carson's their future, so that's the direction they're going. But yeah. I think from Carson's standpoint, uh, regardless of what they offer him, I think you might want to wait. And here's the other reason why. You know, unless they give him – because if we talk market value right now, his value should be or he should be aiming at $33 million average annual salary. That should be his goal. That's what Aaron Rodgers is getting. People are going to look at him in the same light. And you might say, well, he doesn't have a Super Bowl and he's not the caliber of Aaron Rodgers yet. And I'd say, yeah, you're right. But that's not what his contract's going to be betting on. They're betting on that he will be. And so that's what they're going to pay him. And so it, it does make sense to you know try to pay him as soon as you can because – that number is only going to go up with the salary cap going up. Um, But it's also, there's also a thought that, you know, you you can put in uh, some of those clauses and all that with his injury history. You're going to do that regardless of when he signs this contract. So uh, to me, I wouldn't be so shocked if he, if they didn't come to an agreement only because that number is going to be really, really high. It should be 33 million average annual salary a year. And his guarantees if he really wants to be groundbreaking, he should try to get 4 years of guarantees.
2: Mm. So,
1: do the math on that. You're talking about 130 million total guarantee at signing. That's what he should be aiming for if he really wants to stay within the market value. And I just I'll, I'll just finally say this. For those who think that that's some huge percentage of the cap, it's not. Stop saying that. Stop thinking that oh, you can't pay this quarterback all this money and build a roster around him, okay? The salary cap this year is like almost 189 million. Okay. So let's just fast forward a year and the salary cap goes up by roughly about 10, 11 million a year. So let's just say it's at a round number 200 million and he's going to make 33 million a year. If you go and look at the numbers, that's like 16 and a half percent of the cap at 200 million. That is on the high end, but it's not outrageous. We've seen teams before allocate 20% of their cap in a given year to the quarterback position. So, Granted, it's one player, but it's the player you're betting on to win your Super Bowl, uh, and, and that's really what you have to look at when you're looking at teams' cap allocation: is the percentage devoted to that position? Because they'll be all in on Wentz; that'll be their plan. Sixteen and a half may sound like it's on the high end, or maybe you know is on the high end initially. It's only going to go down as the cap continues to go up.
0: Yeah, that's that's true. And also in Eagles news. Jeffrey Lurie wants to bring back the Chip Kelly green uniforms. So the Kelly—is it Chip
1: Kelly or just Kelly green uniforms? It's just Kelly green, but you can call it the Chip Kelly green. Even though I think the last
2: did uh, they use it
1: that I remember wearing it. What's that? Did they use him during Chip Kelly's run? Am I crazy? They, maybe they did. I, I remember Kevin Cole. I remember Kevin Cole wearing it and balling oh, out yeah. in one of the games. He was wearing Kelly green. I
0: love the idea of the Kelly green, and I love the idea that we could call it Chip. I'm a huge Kelly green. Well, let's call it Chip
1: Kelly green. Is Kelly green the green for Notre Dame? Is Kelly green, is that the green for Notre Uh, Dame? Uh, you know, it goes back and forth. It's, it's, it's been a Kelly green before, and then it was like a dark green when I was there, and then it was, but but like, but like, but like, but like the green,
0: like Kelly green is one of the greens they use for, um, for the colors for Notre Dame, right? Like, I mean, Correct, yeah, correct. Well, okay.
1: Especially now with Brian Kelly Green. So, yeah. oh,
0: you're right. Do you think? Do you think that Brian Kelly Green would acknowledge that it is actually Chip Kelly Green? No,
1: I think <laughs> it's Brian Kelly Green, yeah. and as he should. Of
0: course, he should. Um, Shamrock Green, it's, it's, it's Shamrock Green, right? Sort of. Sure. Okay. All right. Um, I don't think so. Okay, not not Shamrock Green. There wasn't a there wasn't an Irish attack on anybody Irish. I, I'm pro Irish. Uh <laughs> Okay, I don't know where I'm going with this. Uh, you know what? I need. I'm I'm getting close to the point of this podcast, Brady, where I might need a uh, cell phone break <laughs> because you're like we're a 20 minute one.
1: Yeah, yeah. we it, 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 It's funny. Do Do you view that as you know more of? Uh, okay, so here's what I. Well, Cliff we should Kingsbury lay out. Lay out,
0: Yeah, yeah. Lay out what happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So basically, Cliff Kingsbury announced that he's going to provide his players. A twenty-minute cell phone break in between meetings, which, on the outside looking in, you're saying, "Oh, what a mistake! This guy's first year head coach in the NFL. What is he doing? Uh, oh, he's just adapting to the types of players and the culture that he's got with players coming in now. This is a part of their lives." Like I remember, why last year in training camp with the Dolphins in 2014. Some of the older guys would kind of be talking and, and social in the locker room, but you know what most guys did? They walked back to the locker, they grabbed their cell phone, they turned around and sat down, and they sat there until their break was over, and then they went back to meetings. Now, some coaches allow them to bring book bags and whatnot in there, and some players will probably check their phone or you know, tweet or text or whatever during meetings, uh, but I, I think this allows you as a head coach to basically say to your players, look, I've given you a 20-minute break to go do that, all right? So I don't want that crap in our meetings. If you got them, it's going to be a fine. I want you focused on football. We're going to have shorter meetings. They're going to be quick. So we've got your attention, and we're not going to put too much on your plate, but we're going to execute at a really high level at the stuff that we do. And so I think it's actually smart. I think it's a good sign for Arizona. Like this is a sign of a coach that is is young. He understands and can relate to a lot of the players that are in their locker room and is, is willing to adapt and change based on the type of personality he has. So I love the decision. I'm not sure how it hit you.
0: Well, I mean, the, my initial response is here's here's what I would say. I would say a couple of things. One, uh, everybody has breaks for meetings. Okay, like like anybody who has a meeting, any type of meeting in any business in anywhere in the entire world, they take breaks. I check out if I'm in a meeting and it goes past 90 cause, minutes, cause, I'm done. I can't. I don't just gloss over
1: right. anything. Yeah. And so, right, but let me say this. It's not always like mandated by the head coach like this is. Of so course. So I would say sure. this. of course not. So. Eric Mangini would have never done it. There's countless other head coaches that I played for, John Fox, never would have done this. Now, your individual coach might provide you a break to take a, to go to the bathroom or say take a piss. I'm not sure if you can say that. You can say um, that, sir sure. but, but, but not specifically to go be on the cell phone or whatever else. So I, I, I do think – it is unique in that perspective. Like, yeah, breaks are provided, but to specifically sit there and say, like, yeah, these dudes are going to go check their cell phone, so why not, you know, basically call what it is and not beat around the bush with it? Like, I think there's there's something about that that stands out compared to other coaches, right?
0: Yeah, no, that's true. And and and, and I think, too, like, what if Bill Belichick, what if they're talking to Belichick, and he's like, yeah, we're going to start doing these 20-minute breaks every 20 minutes, you know, to check their phones. People are like, this guy's so locked in on the next generation of players. This is why Belichick is ahead of the curve. He's, he's seeing things. He's playing four dimensional chess while the rest of the NFL is playing checkers. He understands the new generation. Kingsbury does it. We're like, oh, handsome Mc, Good looking pants is, uh, you know, he's straight from college and he just, he just thinks he can come in and change the world and have it work. I mean, your leadership style, whatever your leadership style you want it to be, if you think that hitting these kids in spurts works, then, then do it. I mean, I, you know, I think, I think, you know, different approaches, different strokes for different folks can work. And I think Kingsbury, I mean, at the very least, uh, understands how to tap into the mindset of
1: the demographic
0: that he's working with.
1: Yeah, and that's where, you know, by the way, you kind of made the, the, the Mick reference to like Mick Dreamy from Grey's Anatomy, which I think is where like that whole sort of, that whole thing started about. Like, that's, that's right. You know, Mick Dreamy and all that. Although, well, like well, we, well, we I, like use that for everyone. So should it be like Mick Kingsbury at this point? Ooh. Is that what we're going to call him in the NFL?
0: I will say that I think the Simpsons might have been ahead of it with Hootie McBoobity. Um. <laughs> Now,
1: McDreamy, like, I'm, I'm, like most, like most things in life, the Simpsons did it.
0: Simpsons did it. Um, yeah, I think. Uh, no, I think McDreamy. We'll just call him McKingsbury, and that way you get the Irish yeah. action. You get the the Mick jokes already built in there. It's presumed that you know handsome Dreamy is just Kingsbury. So that yeah, that that works completely well. I like it. Let's let's roll with it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't mind the the meetings thing. I mean, if he wants. No, look. We talked about Kingsbury a lot on this podcast, and the, the Cardinals, Pete Prisco, by the way, was on yesterday and says, I'm curious what, what you're hearing or what you think, how this plays out, Brady, but um, he says he feels very convinced at, at an ownership level that this franchise has bought into the idea of taking Kyler Murray first overall. They'll just figure out what to do with Josh Rosen. I mean, all of these decisions by the Cardinals, whether it's the the Kyler Murray thing, Josh Rosen, cell phone meetings, um, you know, whoever you hire, all these things, it's all going to come down to whether the Cardinals win games or lose games in terms of how we judge them. We're going to be a totally results-based business when it comes to Cliff Kingsbury.
1: Right. And that's why I think when you think about the way Cliff has handled himself in his first off season, going into his first draft, and really a free agency where we looked at this, the, the, the rhetoric behind the hiring of Cliff Kingsbury was, oh, he's not going to be able to hire NFL coaches. Uh, who's his defensive coordinator again? Like, like, didn't he just go get a guy in Vance Joseph who was just a former head coach yeah. and who's viewed as, as as a solid defensive coach? And in some circles, there's one. There's there's other guys, too. Pretty sure Larry Fitzgerald signed on to come back to play for him. That's a pretty big gift for a future Hall of Famer. And and then it's it's all been, well, you know, how's the, how are they going to handle that free agency? How are they going to handle the draft? They've signed a bunch of free agents, guys who have proved themselves too. Those guys haven't had any issue coming to play for Cliff Cl- Cl- Kingsbury. And then on top of it, the narrative that they've portrayed right now saying, we don't know what what we're going to do with the number one pick. And at the same time talking about Kyler Murray, but talking about Josh Rosen, it's literally left you with, okay, either it's the greatest smokescreen of all time, (laughs) or it's the worst kept secret ever. And I honestly, at this point do not know. I know what Vegas says. Vegas has Kyler Murray being taken number one overall as an overwhelming favorite, Mm. but, there's definitely a chance that they don't. I mean, it's not like Josh Rosen wouldn't fit Cliff Kingsbury's system, and he said as much at the owners' meetings. I mean, bottom line is Baker Mayfield, who was a freshman there at Texas Tech with him, is more of a dropback style quarterback. Davis Webb, who got drafted in the NFL, was as well. Um, Even Patrick Mahomes. I mean, for as many plays as he's made in Kansas City running around, he did a little bit of that in Texas Tech, but he's also a pocket passer if you watch the majority of his film. And then even if you look at his team this past year, I mean, really, Jet Duffy, who is a highly talented recruit, who's a better athlete, they're trying to make him more of a pocket passer. But, you know, it wouldn't really work out. It's one of the reasons why he hasn't played as much, because he hasn't been able to learn the game from that. And Alan Bowman, their freshman, who's a pocket passer. So, you know, people, for whatever reason, think, you know, all of a sudden he can't figure out how to use a guy like Kyler Murray in his system or Josh Rose in his system. I mean, he's got a plan for both. And I don't think he has any issue, given the fact that he played as a pocket passer at Texas Tech and in the, in the in the NFL for a little bit, so uh, they could be blown. They, they could be like, blown a smokescreen this entire time, and they're going to take Nick Bosa or Quinn and Williams number one overall, or trade out of the pick if someone doesn't give them something good enough, or if someone gives them something good enough for and keep Josh Rosen as the quarterback. So, I just think the way he's handled it, the media, and everything else that's gone along with it. Um, So far, he's done a very good job in his first year as a head coach, and we haven't played games yet. Even though that will ultimately be how he's going to be, um, you know, looked at.
0: It's almost like you get bonus points for acting like you don't know what you're doing. Not not that I'm saying he's doing that, but by acting somewhat uh, not confused, but somewhat like if like. A lot of times you hear these new coaches come out and say, we got it, like we have a concrete plan. This is what we're doing here, here, and here. And by being like, hey, you know, it's still early. Like, we don't know. We'll see what happens. Anything can happen. Now, he talks about Kyler Murray, and you can see it in his eyes. Uh, he looks like he's uh, he's uh a little McDreamy for Kyler Murray. So, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is a smokescreen. I I, I agree with you. It is. There's no way to tell, based on what he and Steve Kine have done and said, exactly what they're going to do. I think most people assume they don't know what they're going to do. Maybe it's the opposite.
1: Yeah. And, and I think just, you know, when you hear a general manager like David Gettleman come out and say, you know, and sign Odo Beckham to, you know, trade him, and you hear him say that multiple times and then he go, turns around and does it, uh, I just, it, it comes off as, you know, he needs to be dishonest in order to, you know, uh, what, drum up value for Odo Beckham or act like they really need him. I mean, I don't know that Cliff Kingsbury has played his hand either way. And I think he's been honest about it. Like could Josh Rosen fit in the system and, and are they really high on him? Yeah, of course, because he was a first round quarterback last year. I'm sure most people watched the film on him and watched him in college and feel very good about him. Um, so I'm sure they feel like they can make it work with him. That's why they drafted him last year. That was one of Steve Kimes picks. Uh, but this year, could they have an upgrade with Kyler Murray and, and Cliff Kingsbury system? Yeah, maybe. So, just the whole thing, I think the way they have played it, uh, they've they've created this, this this deception, if you will, of what they're going to do. I think it's been pretty savvy for a guy that um, a lot of people were concerned about taking on this job as a head coach. I think he's done a great job thus far handling it.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. Elsewhere in the news, the Pittsburgh Steelers are drawing attention because of their public. I don't. Are they sniping? I don't even know what's going on there. Uh, you know, Mike Tomlin's getting Big Ben's back. Juju Smith-Schuster is posting Instagram photos of Big Ben and him. Um, then Antonio Brown is subtweeting Juju Smith-Schuster's Instagram photos. It's like a fifth-grade dance. I mean, what is – should we – why are these – why are Le'Veon Bell and, and Antonio Brown not – just let it go. You got your new teams. You got your money. Let it go. Move on. And yet at the same time – you, know, you can't help but notice that Mike Tomlin and, and everybody else is sort of willing to take shots at those guys on their way out the door too. It feels like both parties, all parties would be better off if they just sort of took a breath and maybe took a vacation.
1: Yeah, but but that's what happens when, you know, you play and have success together and and spend so much time together. You know, it, it becomes emotional. You know, you, you're passionate about uh, what you're able to accomplish and work together and all that. So it, it's not easy to move on. And I think that's what you're seeing a little bit in in social media play out. But I think where where there's smoke, there's fire. Are there questions about Ben Roethlisberger's leadership? Of course. That's why you see people all of a sudden kind of calling him out and questioning him. So uh, I'm sure he could improve as a leader. I don't think that's any well-kept secret. I think that's why you see – Guys like Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown now airing out that grievance because if you think about it, you know Le'Veon Bell didn't have an issue with Ben Roethlisberger. His issue was he wanted more money from the Steelers and a better contract for them for the long term. So it wasn't Ben Roethlisberger holding him back from that. And even Antonio Brown, like I, I know, Ben Roethlisberger being critical of Antonio Brown led to this fracture that's occurred between the two. But again, Antonio Brown wanted a new contract. He wanted more financial security, which he got from the Raiders after the trade. So. Uh, I don't know that that was the whole issue either with Ben Rolls, Marl, Roethlisberger. If, if the Rooneys paid Antonio Brown thirty million guaranteed this offseason, do you think Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown would have bury the hatchet somewhere? <laughs> of yes. course. Yes. So, like, the weird thing is, is you know, to some degree, Antonio Brown's probably right when he makes comments to Juju Smith Schuster that Juju Smith Schuster is just saying all the right things because he hasn't been paid yet. It's true. I mean, Juju Smith Schuster is now the only Rumble one wide receiver he now is going to have to be put in that spot, have production in order to be paid what he wants to be paid. And then it'll be interesting to see how he views Ben Roethlisberger or if he views him in the same light, especially if big Ben's as critical of Juju Smith-Schuster for as active as he is in social media and everything off the field. Um, And, and, and if he's going to, you know, be okay with big, you know, big Ben calling him out on his radio show during the week, during the course of the season or in the off season. So it's, it's it's an interesting dynamic, and I think it's it's odd to see this continually, um, you know, circulate through. But at some point, I just think it's it's best that everyone just moves on and goes their separate ways.
0: Mm, I think you're right. Uh, all right, anything else from the news that struck your fancy coming out of the owners meetings? Jordy Nelson retired, as we mentioned. I don't, I mean, no real surprise there. wasn't hugely effective for the Raiders. Jordy Nelson's not a Hall of Famer, is he?
1: I don't think so. No, I just you know Jordan Nelson had a great career. I mean, bottom line, and sure. when I think of him, I think of you know Rogers to Nelson. Uh, it was it was probably that was probably Aaron's most consistent, reliable wide receiver. Maybe Donald Driver is the other one you could throw in that conversation. But uh, when you think of Aaron Rodgers, how great he is on the other end of that pass is Jordy Nelson. Um, so you know what a great career. Um, a guy that epitomized as a quarterback what you're looking for. He was always where he's supposed to be. He had good hands. He got yards after the catch. Uh, he blocked his tail off. Like, just a good guy. I mean, overall, like he's the type of guy that every quarterback loves to have. I'm a bit surprised he retired. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been shocked. If he would have found his way to New England. Um, and it's not like he didn't have some production last year in, in with the Raiders. So uh, it just depends on what price and maybe he didn't have to go through a new offense and and, and being with those guys. But that kind of leads me to Gronk. You know, I know it's old news now, but. I do still think there's a chance he could come back, and and now that if if he's not going to be there, you kind of wonder what what does Tom Brady have left out around him? I don't know, but it's Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and I'm not going to bet against them in the AFC East just because Gronk's not there. No offense to him, because they'll probably draft I don't know Hawkinson, Fan, or, or Smith in the draft this year, and <laughs> they'll be able to figure out a way of making that guy productive.
0: Uh, if you had to guess off the top of your head, how many Pro Bowls did Jordy Nelson make? In the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 year career he had in the NFL. Five. One. What the hell? How did he, I? I was like, wow. and I did a double take while I was looking at his stats. He made one Pro Bowl in 2014, uh, when he had 1,519 yards. He didn't make the Pro Bowl in 2016 when he was coming off an ACL, uh, had 152 targets, 97 catches, and 14 receiving touchdowns to lead the league. Man, that's...
1: Was he, wasn't he the comeback
0: player of the year that year though? I think that is correct. Yeah, Yes. He was NFL comeback player of the year in 2016. Um, so yes, but I, I would have given him, cause he missed all of 2015. Remember he tore his ACL in the, uh, in the third, in the third preseason game. Um, and so he yeah. missed, I mean, you know, that's, I, I don't know if he's a, I don't know if he's a border, border eh, I guess he's probably not a borderline Hall of Famer, but I mean, you know, you, you hate the, the ACL tear and you lose that entire season, and then you get to your 30s. He eh, you had a good career, made a bunch of money. But, yeah, I forgot we hadn't talked about Gronk too. I, I think, I, I, I think Gronk is happy going away. I think, he, I think he's 30. He's going to retire with his health. He just won a Super Bowl ring. He's rich beyond his wildest dreams. He can go and do Gronk stuff and. um He's not he's not tied down with like a wife or kids or anything, got a girlfriend, but I don't know. I feel like he could he's gonna enter the prime of his of his uh of his adulthood uh, at thirty with no with tons of money and no uh no real um concerns in life.
1: I'll I'll put it this way. Rob Gronkowski knows how to party, and you know what uh makes those people the best at knowing how to party? They know when to leave. Mm. They know and have a feeling for when the party is going to be on its descent. Mm. And and I think he's kind of looking at it for himself personally from a health perspective with that thought in mind, but also looking at the team, looking at what they accomplished. I mean, there's no guarantee they're going to go back to the Super Bowl and win it again next year. So what better way than being the guy that helped set up the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. just final catch. another ring. And then – sailing off into, this, into the sunset, right? That's, that's a
0: great – the party – in fact, somebody like Gronk, if you want to carry the analogy a little bit further, the party ends when he leaves.
2: Mm.
1: Right. I mean, that's – and then maybe, maybe that is the case. Yeah, um, maybe uh, so. but, but no matter how you look at it, I think that's the best analogy is uh, this guy is kind of known for his work hard play hard, and I think he knows when the party's ending. So in this respect – You know, this is the end of the party for him. But, obviously, he's going to have plenty of opportunities. And uh, I I think, honestly, not to compare sports, but Dwayne Wade said it best. Someone asked Dwayne Wade, because he's in his final season in the NBA, if he could play two or three more years. He said, yeah, actually, I could. He goes, but he goes, I want to walk the way I feel like I'm walking today. Yeah. And I'm sure there's some element of that for Rob Gronkowski where he's saying, you know, could he eke out another couple years, a few years, maybe. But, you know, he, he wants to still be able to live the life that he can once he's done playing, uh, and, and, and I think you know, we all can appreciate that. He's, he was one of the greatest tight ends of all time uh, during the time of his career, especially when healthy.
0: Yep. No, I agree completely. Gronk, you'll be missed, buddy. Um, Gronk was, Gronk's been on this podcast once or twice, promoting some sort of thing, but he's been on the podcast nonetheless. Of course. Uh, of I mean, course. He
1: doesn't come on unless he's promoting something. Yeah, so. Gronk's a great. Was it yeah. Neuticals? <laughs> was it Neuticals? It's been yeah. like a piece of weight equipment, right? I think it was like Tide Pods. Yeah, yeah, he's big on that, which is interesting because of all the NFL players, because, you know, there's that big scare about eating Tide Pods. Who's most likely? He'd be the one that I would think, like, yeah, yeah. he'd be most likely to eat a Tide Pod. Right? He'd, like, be like, ah, oh, I thought it was uh, gummy bear or something. I don't know, you know. <laughs> well, I want to see what it tastes like. He'd be the one that I would expect to do that.
0: Jaeger-flavored Tide Pods. Uh, also, least likely least likely to wash his own clothes, right? I mean, he's right up there in terms of.
1: <laughs> well done. The thing is, is like, I, look, people picture him, for, you know, like washing clothes. Like, he wears like tank tops and shorts everywhere. It's like, it's not like there's much to wash. You know, he's got to wear his muscle shirt, his little tank top, and he's got his shorts, whatever. That's, that's pretty much it. So, yeah. that seems like that's all the guy wears.
0: You're right. All right. We got to get out of here. Uh, Brady Quinn, as always, a pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll do this again next week. We're heading towards the draft. We'll talk about draft guys as we get closer. Thanks, man.
2: Good talking to you.
1: Alright, that's good.